facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Tuesday. It is March the 7th, 2023. So happy that you're with me on The Kale Clark Show. And you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. Great time to call in right now if you want to grab a line, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. And find me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. I want to welcome back producer Jim Shaper, who just returned from uh, several days on a retreat. I, I think he was in the four days of darkness with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure if he heard him moving around there or not, but uh, welcome back, Jim. Hey, glad to be back. No, it wasn't the four days of darkness. It was not the three days of darkness. Lots <laughs> of bright sunshine and just a beautiful, beautiful time to to pray and listen to the voice of God speaking in my heart. Uh, well, absolutely, and and thank you for praying for me. Uh, I know you did, and I, I need it. I need it, and uh, I'm sure you prayed for our listeners as well, and let's all pray for one another. Lent is a great time to do a retreat, and we're going to attend to your spiritual needs here on the program in, in just a minute. We're going to have a mento mori moment, as we always do every day in Lent. Remember our death, and uh, start with the end in mind, and we'll we'll have a pretty good life, I think, hopefully. And then also we're going to talk about what Jesus says in the gospel today about the seat of Moses. And what does that have to do with the Catholic Church? It's a point of controversy. He says, call no man father. And of course, as Catholics, we we get this a lot from our non-Catholic friends who are also followers of Jesus Christ. And they say, why do you Catholics call your priest father? Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that And, and many more things to come as well. And I'm also going to, this is really intriguing. I'm going to give you some insight and and this, this is something that I'm going to give you for free, but Tony Robbins, you guys know who Tony Robbins is, right? Jim, you've heard, I know that you stay up late at night watching (laughs) Tony Robbins infomercials, right? I I, uh, had a, have a brother who, who used to watch him all the time, but no uh, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, (laughs) most I remember of Tony Robbins is a line from, uh, Tommy boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> David Spade and Chris Farley. Hey, it's Tony <laughs> Robbins when he was getting all excited about selling the brake pads and everything. Oh man, yeah, Tom, yeah. Tommy Boy, one of the one of the greatest Classic. films of all time. And if and if uh, you're probably thinking I'm uncultured, and you'd probably be right, but uh, I love Tommy Boy, love Chris Farley, and we had the real Matt. I keep saying this. We had the real Matt Foley on the show in the past. We should maybe put a link to that in the show notes, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Father Matt Foley, he's actually a priest. How about that? Anyways, yeah, so Tony Robbins, obviously self-help guru, lots of infomercials, lots of books, like Awaken the Giant, Money, Master the Game. <laughs> I haven't so far. I should probably read that. But, but at any rate, he's, he's well known for not only doing this stuff and having lots of seminars, and, and I, I, I haven't gotten into his teaching, so I, I can't comment on, on their effectiveness or, or lack thereof. But I will say this, I will say this, he has executive clients, and you have to pay really, really big bucks for private coaching from Tony Robbins, but I'm actually going to let you in on a little secret later in the program. What he does with people, and he calls this, he does this in his first session with all his executive clients, the very first session, and people pay big bucks for this. I'm going to give you the information for free. 
but please don't tell Tony. I don't want him to find out. Uh, that'll be coming up later in the program. But let's, um, and I think it's very compatible with a Catholic life. Very compatible. It's really intriguing, actually. I, I, I can't wait to share that with you. You're listening to The Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio for free. Hey, I'm not even charging you for this. How about that? 888-914-9149. As uh, one of my professors used to say, the gospel of Jesus Christ is free of charge. It's heresy that comes with a price. And, and how true that is. How true that is. Well, let's look at today's memento mori moment, if you will. And again, uh, during Lent, we're going through this really cool devotional by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, one of the daughters of St. Paul. It's called Remember Your Death, Memento Mori in Latin. Call yourself a Latin scholar now, now that you know that. Uh, it's a Lenten devotional, and she kind of plays off the mass readings of the day and has some insights on how that focuses in with this theme. And the idea is to live well. If we remember the fact that uh, we will die ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we heard this on Ash Wednesday, we'll hopefully live much better lives. And today's first reading comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's a very famous passage. And here's an excerpt from it. It's from Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us set things right, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they may become white as wool. If you are willing and obey, you shall eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and resist, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, so that famous passage, your sins are like scarlet, but they shall become white as snow. They could, if you let God do his work. And here's what Sister Teresa says. She says, God almost sounds here like an exasperated parent. You know, come now, let us set things right. Come on, get it together. And she says, really, probably Isaiah was wanting to desperately communicate how God desires us to have the graces that we need for our souls to become pure. He really wants that. He wants it for us. That's his dream for us, sanctity, to become saints. But we need to cooperate with this. And she says, cooperation begins with this plea. Help me to do what I don't want to do. Help me to want to do what I don't want to do. So in case you didn't get that, I'm going to say that again. Help me to do what I don't want to do and help me to want to do what I don't want to do. It's a little bit like what St. Paul said uh, in one of his letters when he said, man, what a, what a wretched guy I am. And I, he wasn't that bad. Of course, he was one of the greatest saints of all time. But he says, the evil that I don't want to do, I find myself doing that. This is concupiscence. Even after baptism, we have to fight against the tendency towards sin. It's the after effects of original sin. And so we've we got to deal with this, uh, even post-baptism. And it also kind of reminds me, of, we, we talked about the Transfiguration yesterday and how after the Transfiguration, they have this mountaintop experience and Jesus and Peter and James and John, they come down from the mountain and they're back in the valley of despair, if you will, the valley of human sinfulness, the valley of trouble. This is our life in this world. And they immediately meet this dad and his son who has a demon, the demon keeps throwing this kid into the fire and the water and all this stuff. And the father says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And it sounds an awful lot like that, too. Help my unbelief. Help me to do what I don't want to do. Who's going to, like St. Paul says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? 
And then he says, thanks be to God, Christ Jesus, our Lord, will do this. He will help me. He will help me. And so this idea that God does want to save us, he wills our salvation. And we just, he, he wants us to partner with him because he hasn't taken away our human freedom. And really sin is, is the monument to human freedom. The, hell is, is the monument to human freedom. C.S. Lewis said that hell, the door is locked from the inside. People who are there truly at the end of the day, they want to be there because they don't want God. They don't want to turn their lives over to him. They want to kind of do things their way, my way. Frank Sinatra, that's the song, the soundtrack, like the Muzak, if you will, that you will hear. Hopefully you will not hear and hopefully I will not hear, but that, that's what's playing 24-7 uh, in the underworld. But we have to understand that th- there is something worse than physical death. And, and in, in Isaiah, what does the prophet say? If you refuse and re- if you are willing and obey, you will eat the good things of the land. This is what God says to the people. But if you refuse and resist, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now that essentially means that God was going to allow the people to be uh, defeated by their their enemies on a human level, almost as a as a penance. He was going to allow this to happen in the hopes that they would repent. And all throughout the history of the people of God, this is this is what happens. Sometimes He allows catastrophes to befall them, like the the deportation to Babylon. Uh, the destruction of the temple, 586 B.C. This was a terrible thing, an awful event that happened. Why would God allow it? Well, because this is harsh medicine. This was harsh medicine. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila said, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. Sometimes we, 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 we sort of rankle under, under God's, uh, I guess you could say his tutelage, his... His, uh, his teaching, how he teaches us through the sufferings of life. But ultimately what he wants us to do is to, is to surrender, to surrender to him so that he can give us life, he can give us his grace and forgiveness. And so there, there is something much, the reason why God allows these things sometimes to, to befall us when he, when he has a hard time getting our attention is so that we don't suffer something much worse. There, there are worse things that can happen than being killed by the sword. And, that, and that's what Jesus talks about in the gospel when he said, don't fear the one who can only kill the body. But I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one who can, after, after the body is dead, can throw both body and soul into hell. And we don't want that. We don't want that. We, we want heaven. And so this is the battle, the battle within. And, and Sister Teresa says, quote, a constant battle rages within each person until death. Will we enthrone our ego or the king of heaven? That's a great question. Will we enthrone our ego or the king of heaven? I remember uh, during my university years, a lot of evangelical campus missionaries would use this sort of Bible tract that they would give people. And and one of the questions on there was, who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Is Is it your significant other? Is it your, who, who is it? Who, who is the Lord of your life? It could be anything or anybody. It could be an idol, but it has to be Jesus Christ. And so this has been the temptation from the beginning as the devil tempted our first parents, eat the fruit and you shall be like God. The ego being in control. We've got to, as Sister Teresa says, push the ego off the throne and enthrone Jesus 
Uh, but the problem is our ego battles along with the encouragement of the evil one. The evil one and our ego one, I guess you could say, to try to depose God, to dethrone God once again. But uh, if we're humble, if we're humble, we can, we can do it. The key is to try to become like little children, she says, as, Ma- as Matthew 18.3 talks about. You've got to turn and become like little children. And God will give us his help if we, if we ask for it. If we ask for it, there's plenty of help to be had. So she kind of closes this one with a, a little quote from the little flower, St. Therese of Lisieux. And th- this is one of the letters that she wrote to her sister Celine. Her sister Celine, not Celine Dion, but uh, uh, her sister Celine, who, who was also, also spoke French, but uh, lived uh, a long time before that. So anyways, this is what uh, St. Therese said. And this is really a great image. She said, quote, Think of a beautiful peach with its delicate tint of rose, with its flavor so sweet that no human skill could invent such nectar. Man, that is making me salivate. That's a, that's a great description. Uh, love peaches. Georgia peaches. Peach iced tea. I don't know. Anyways, she says this to, to her sister. Tell me, is it for the peach's own sake? that God created that color so fair to the eye, that velvety covering so soft to the touch? Is it for itself that he made it so sweet? No, it is for us. The only thing that is, that is all its own, and she's talking about the peach now, the only thing that completely belongs to it and is essential to its being is the peach pit. It possesses nothing beyond. So the peach pit only exists for the sake of the peach, but the rest of the peach is for us. It's for the human person. Remember 90210? They, ha- they hung out in this diner called the peach pit. Anyways, uh, so she goes on to say, Thus it also pleases Jesus to lavish his gifts on certain souls in order to draw still more to himself. Okay, I'm going to st- stop right there. That, that's an interesting insight from the little flower, St. Therese, uh, Therese, rather. And it pleases Jesus to lavish his gifts on certain souls in order to draw still more to himself. G.K. Chesterton, who, who converted to Catholicism uh, very famously, I think, it was, I think it was Chesterton who said this, and if, and if, he, if, this, if I'm not attributing the, the quote to the right person, please... Uh, call in and disabuse me of this notion, 888 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. But I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said something to the effect of one of the reasons why he turned to God, started looking for God, is because he had no one to thank for all his many blessings. And that's, that's intriguing because there is a certain type of soul who is very much drawn to God through the blessings of God. And whether it's the natural blessings like a peach, as St. Therese described, or, or, or just the blessings of the beauty of creation, um, life in general. There's so many things in life, as, oh, I never will, as, as Louis Armstrong sang about. It's so true. And, and, and sometimes that, that beauty... And these are the transcendentals. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Truth, goodness, and beauty. The, the great blessings that we have make us seek the one who, who gave us these gifts. And, but now for other people, when they, when they receive these gifts from God, 
it has the opposite effect. They think somehow they've done it themselves, um, and they, they, they forget about God in the midst of their pleasures. And that, that's the other danger. That's the other danger. And there's a, a great um, proverb that says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, because if I'm poor, I might be tempted to steal and thus bring disgrace upon your name. Uh, but if I'm if I'm too you know, if I have if I have too many great riches, then I might be tempted to forget about you or to think that somehow I did this on my own strength, my own power, and that that also is not a good thing. So it's kind of a, a middle way, if you will. But also, some sometimes with certain souls, God gives them a, a different kind of gift, and it's not necessarily the gift of of these kinds of blessings, but a different kind of blessing that doesn't seem like a blessing at the time. And this is the gift of hardship. Um, hardship can be a blessing if it turns the soul to God. And St. Jose Maria used to talk about the blessing of slander, the blessing of prison, the blessing of uh, misunderstandings, the, the blessing of difficulties, the blessing of sickness. They don't certainly seem like blessings, but, but it's a chance for us to embrace the sweetness of the cross. And so, anyways, let's just finish this quote from, uh, from Sister Therese. Say Therese. She says, quote, In his mercy, he humbles them inwardly and gently compels them to recognize their nothingness and his almighty power. Now, this sentiment of humility is like a kernel of grace which God hastens to develop against that blessed day when clothed with an imperishable beauty, they will be placed without danger on the banquet table of paradise. I am not, she says, I am not always faithful, but I never lose courage. I leave myself in the arms of our Lord. He teaches me to draw profit from everything, from the good and the bad that he finds in me. He teaches me to invest in the bank of love. So forget about the Bank of America. She says, invest in the bank of love, or rather, it is he, God, who invests for me without telling me how he does it that it is his affair, not mine. I have but to surrender myself entirely to him, to do so without reserve, without even the satisfaction of knowing what it will bring to me. End of quote. So that's again from a letter of St. Therese of Lisieux to her sister Celine. That, that is an incredible insight as well. And there's no wonder that she's a, a doctor of the church, even though she died at the young age of 24. Incredible wisdom uh, from the heavens beyond her years. Jesus says, lay up treasure for eternity. Lay up your treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. So she says, basically, I'm investing. God is teaching me to invest in the bank of love. And actually, it's not really me. It's he's doing it for me. What, what does that mean? It means all these things that I wouldn't have chosen for myself, all these sufferings and hardships. And she had a lot of them, St. Therese. Illness, especially. And, and she, she died again at 24 um, a wasting disease, but it is he who invests for me. He makes the decisions. This is the fund you're going to invest in for all of eternity. And he doesn't even, he's not even going to tell me how he does it sometimes. It's his business, not mine. You just have to trust. Your job is to trust and surrender. Jesus, I trust in you to give him everything, even without knowing what's going to happen. As she says, without even the satisfaction of knowing what it will bring to me. I don't even know what the fruits of this are going to be yet, but I simply trust him with it. So 
Really good stuff once again. I encourage everybody to pick up this uh, Lenten devotional, Memento Mori, by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble from the Daughters of St. Paul. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. I'm going to give you the secret inside scoop for free from Tony Robbins. Tony's not going to be on the show. I hate to disappoint you, but it's the next best thing. It's The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. That's right, the great Steve Perry and Journey. Sky keeps on turning. I really hope that Steve Perry and Neil Sean can patch up their differences and he can return. He's one of the greatest rock singers of all time, Steve Perry. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to disgrace this with my karaoke kale impersonation because just let the purity of the voice speak for itself. But anyways, why do I mention journey? Why do I mention the wheel in the sky? Well, we're all on a journey to the skies, beyond the skies, to heaven itself, of course. And hopefully our wheels are spinning as I'm trying to find another way of, of cheesily uh, introducing this. But I want to talk about uh, something that Tony Robbins came up with. I mentioned this off the top, uh, the self-help guru, best-selling author. He packs out all kinds of seminars. He also does executive coaching. It's really on, only the elite or with deep, deep pockets can get into these things. But I was able to find one of his techniques for free on the internet. The internet is a is a is just a a potpourri of interesting items. And there's this guy that I follow on Twitter. His name is Matt Schnuck. M-A-T-T Schnuck. S-C-H-N-U-C-K. Not not schmucks. I've been called a schmuck at times. Uh, it was. It's never been a pleasant experience. I, I don't think it's a nice thing to say, but, but uh, anyways, I probably am at some level. But Matt Schnuck, he writes about entrepreneurship. Interesting. And he always has really interesting Twitter threads that have really cool graphics and I'm going to try my best to to share what he shared, kind of in visual form. I'm going to try to paint a picture for you. And this is a technique that he got from Tony Robbins. So apparently, Tony Robbins uses this every time he does a seminar for executive clients. And people pay big bucks for this. And on, on the first day, the first session, he'll talk about this. And it's called the Wheel of Life. That's why we played Wheel in the Sky. Anyways. Great segue there. Um, so this is called the wheel of life. And this is the philosophy behind this is that you want to get into a state where life is just kind of rolling along. And, and when it does, it feels like play. It feels really good and you can get into a nice flow. So the wheel of life is kind of a tool that you can use. And I think anybody could, could use this to assess their life. So I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, as it were, a wheel. But but in these images that Matt Schnuck uh, puts up, and his, uh, his Twitter feed is at Matt Schnuck. You can check it out. Always got cool stuff. It kind of looks more like a pie than a wheel, but you get, the, you get the point where there are parts of the wheel, spokes of the wheel, but it, it also looks like a pie, like mom's apple pie. And this wheel of life can be split into various slices of the wheel. And, and here they are. I'm just going to list them here. 
career, money, health, friends and family, significant other, personal growth, fun and recreation, and where you live. So there are eight slices of the pie or eight parts to the wheel, as it were, the wheel of life, career, money, health, friends and family, significant other, personal growth, fun and recreation, and where you live. Now, obviously, there's no part of the wheel to deal with spirituality, which I think is a major uh, misstep, if you will, a major omission. But you can add that in to your own wheel. You can just make it have nine slices. Um, or you could add something else in. And so th this is the, the, the beauty of it and the, and the brilliance of it. So what you can do, and this is a great thing to do with your spouse, especially, or you could, you could do it with, with a friend, with someone else, if you're willing to share with them. But it, it works really, really well, I think, with one's spouse. Basically, what you do is you go over the wheel of your life in all of these different areas, and you're going to ask yourself certain questions about these slices of the pie, these parts of the wheel. You can figure out where you want to make needed changes. So, again, you, you can rename the parts of the pie, the slices of the pie, the parts of the wheel, you could, you could, I don't know. And here's another thing you can do too. You can take, let's say the one on the one for health. This is what Schnuck says. Okay. Here's an example. Take the slice of the pie that says health and you can in turn take that one slice and slice the slices as it were. You, you can, you can slice it, the health piece into a bunch of different subcategories such as nutrition, strength, flexibility, stress, sleep. So that, that's interesting. And that, that's a way to get even more slices in the pie, subcategories, different parts of the wheel. Anyways, you can make it as granular as you want. And, and so I hope you've got this image in your mind of slices of the pie or sections of a wheel. And, and, and here's another thing that you can do. So the, the center of the wheel, the hub, as it were, you can give that a zero rating. And then the outer edge of the pie, the crust, as it were, or, the, or the, the, where the rubber meets the road. I'm kind of using two different images here, the pie and the wheel, but it's really called the wheel of life. Call it the pie of life, whatever. But the outer edge, so if it's a wheel, it'd be the, where the tire is, where the rubber is. Or if it's a pie, it'd be the pie crust, the outer crust. That is a 10. So the center of the wheel is a zero. The outer edge is a 10. So if you're at a functioning at a perfect 10 in that section of your life, like let's say the health piece is really, really great. You're in the best shape of your life. You're in the prime of your life. You're, you're, you're eating great foods, not like the chicken Big Mac I had. I was, actually, that was great. That was great. I'll talk about that maybe later. That's what I have for dinner tonight. Um, if your nutrition is great, if you're, if you're strong, you're flexible, you're, you're low stress, you're sleeping a good seven, eight hours a night, you might, get, you might actually give yourself a perfect 10 in the health segment of the wheel of life. And so you might fill in, shade in that slice all the way, all the way. Now, if you're not doing so great, let's say, for example, in the career slice or the career section of the wheel, things aren't going well. Things are not going well. And you might only want to give yourself a five out of 10. So what that looks like visually is a smaller slice. So it's a slice that starts in the middle, but it doesn't go all the way to the outer edge of the pie. Does that make sense? So it's a tiny slice. It still touches the middle, but it doesn't go all the way. So here, here's what you notice. When you go through all of these sections and shade them in from zero to 10, let's say, you're going to have a wheel 
that is not round. Does that make sense? So you might give yourself a perfect 10 in nutrition or, or health. Uh, where you live, you might really love the city where you live. Um, you're really happy with your marriage. You might give those ones a 10. So the, the shading goes all the way out to the edge of the wheel. But then fun and recreation, oh, you'll give yourself a 2. So that's a tiny little slice. Career, maybe 5 out of 10. It doesn't go all the way out to the outer edge. So you don't have a round wheel. And we all know, we all know that round wheels roll the best. Yeah, the, our caveman ancestors who went with the square wheels didn't get very far. So round wheels roll best. So what you want to do ideally is try to get every section of your life out to the outer edge. Try to try to have a 10 in every section. Is that really possible? I don't think it really is. I, I don't think you can be firing on all cylinders at all times. So what do you do? What What is Matt Schnuck suggest that you do. He says, take two areas to work on at a time. Do not try to renovate or recalibrate your entire life in one, in one go, in one, in, in a couple of weeks. It just simply isn't going to happen. It's going to take some time. So maybe you might want to focus on the career piece and maybe fun and recreation. You know, what are you doing in your spare time? Do you have any hobbies? Do you, are you, whatever that may be. Try to get those up to up to 10, turn those up to 10 as quickly as you can, and then maybe start working on some other slices of the pie or some other parts of the wheel. So ask yourself, what does a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 look like in each area of your life? Career, money, health, friends and family, significant other, personal growth, fun and recreation, where you live. Obviously, the spiritual piece you're going to want to throw in there. Your interior life, what, where are you at there? And so if you can figure out what a 10 in each area looks like to you, and it may not be the same as for someone else, for, I don't know, you may be, it depends what your needs are. Obviously health, you want to optimize that as much as you possibly can. But for some people, I don't know what they're saying these days, how much money you need to retire. They used to say you need a million dollars to retire because of inflation, yada, yada, yada. And then just a rule of thumb, take out 4% every year in retirement. And depending on how long you live, you'll probably be okay. But now they're saying, I'm hearing some people say, you actually need $2 million a year to retire, at least because the cost of everything is going up. Inflation is going up. Wages aren't going up with inflation. Things cost more. And here's a great way to, this is something, if you're, if you're on the younger side of things, you can ask this of your parents. This is, um, if you have parents who are kind of of the boomer age, ask them this question. I asked, I asked my parents this question. It was, it was really intriguing. Ask them, how much did you pay for your first house and how much did you pay for your last car? And I guarantee you, depending on how old your, your, your parents are, if they're still living, they probably paid more for their latest car than they did for their first house. And that, that, that is inflation right there, folks. So how much do you need? I don't know. But there are people who don't need that much because they simply don't have a lot of wants. They, don't, they, they, they need to cover the basics, but they don't really want to live in a gigantic home. They don't want to take 10 vacations a year. They, they, they're just content. So their needs are less. So you got to figure out what that is for you. So your wheel might not look completely round, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's, it's your wheel. And maybe it doesn't roll as fast as some others, but... It's still good. So hopefully that this, this makes some sense. 
And so try to, whatever your, your 10 out of 10 looks like in each section of your life, try to get there. Look at it like a game. It's kind of fun. You can go over, it's a fun exercise you could do on a date night with your spouse. And try not to get distracted by the wheels that other people are driving. <laughs> Keeping up with the Joneses. D focus on yourself and focus on what you want to get out of life. And hopefully on the spiritual side of things, you want to become a canonized saint. That's the only goal worth shooting for. If your goal is just to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, by the skin of your chinny chin chin, well, what happens if you miss? Don't 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 do that. Try try to be a great saint. Try to be a canonizable saint. And as C.S. Lewis says, if you shoot for heaven, you're going to get earth thrown in as a bonus. So do that. That's your first uh, first objective. Ob objective. Start from the inside out. Work on your interior life. But you got to work on these other things too, because this is important. We do live in the world. We have to use items and things. We try to do so with a spirit of poverty. We try to be responsible stewards. But ignoring these things is not the answer. Try to look at these different areas of life. And it really helps to have some sort of an accountability partner, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a, I don't know, maybe your spiritual director or a good friend. It's kind of a good thing. And you can maybe do this exercise once a year or maybe twice a year. Lent might be a good time to do it as we're kind of taking stock, at least on the spiritual level. And it could be kind of a fun game, the wheel of life. So thanks very much to Matt Schnuck for posting that. That was really cool. So you just got access to a Tony Robbins session for free on the Kale Clark Show. How about that? Hopefully he's not listening. Uh, he might call me, but you can call me 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, and we'll be back right after this message. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. If you want to react to any of the stuff that we talked about so far on the show, 888-914-9149. On the last segment, we talked about a little bit of information, a little exercise that Tony Robbins goes through with his executive clients, and they pay big, big bucks for this. It's called the Wheel of Life. Uh, Matt Schnuck kind of laid it out for us. And if you go on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark is my handle, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. I just actually reposted that for you, so you can check that out. Uh, it's really, really good. It's called The Wheel of Life. Fun exercise to do this Lent. All right, well, today's gospel reading came to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, and it really deals with a lot of hot-button issues that we as Catholics face a lot, a lot of questions that we get about our faith, and inquiring minds want to know. Here's what it is. Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples this, quote, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation rabbi. As for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself 
will be exalted. Famous passage there in the Gospel of Matthew and a number of apologetic items that we should probably uh, talk about here a little bit. Uh, first of all, it, it's interesting that this, this whole concept of Moses' seat, and, and I'm going to talk more about this later, that it might have been an actual chair, especially later on in the synagogue system. Now, there were obviously synagogues at the time of Jesus, but they have found uh, what is thought to be a chair of Moses. It's a symbolic chair in certain synagogues. Like there's one in Chorazin. That's one of the cities that Jesus pronounced woe on. Uh, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. You know, he would have repented. Uh, good things would have happened, but you didn't. And the punishment's going to be pretty bad for you in the afterlife. So they, they've uncovered a seat of Moses. They think that's what it is. In the ruins of the synagogue at Chorazin. I saw it once. Uh, when I was in the Holy Land. And so it might have been an actual chair, or it simply might have been just a symbol. Like they've got the seat of Moses. But they, their problem is the Pharisees, the scribes, is, and, and this is a general comment, not all Pharisees were bad. Not all Pharisees were bad. In fact, St. Paul, former Pharisee, had a lot in common with Jesus. They would have agreed on a lot of stuff. Some of the Pharisees tried to warn Jesus about trouble that was coming his way. You need to get out of here. Herod's looking for you. This is in Luke's gospel. And Jesus says, go tell that fox, Herod, you know, I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to preach. I'm going to heal people. And then I'll reach my goal. And I'm not scared of you, basically, is what he's saying. So not all of them were bad, but a lot of them, a lot of the scribes and Pharisees were not practicing what they preached, obviously. And so uh, earlier in the passage in, um, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long. What does that mean? Well, phylacteries are these little leather boxes. And if you've been maybe to the Holy Land or if you've been around any uh, ultra-Orthodox um, uh, Jewish people, they still will use these. And they, they contain little bits of scripture from the Old Testament in these leather, leather boxes. And they'll tie them sometimes around their forehead, almost like a headband. It's this idea that we should always be meditating and thinking on and remembering the word of God. What about the fringes? Well, th this is the fringes of their garments. And uh, it's like the woman who had an issue of blood who reaches out and just touches the fringe of Jesus's garment. And so uh, that's really what this is a reference to. And if you had sort of longer fringes, you'd kind of show them off. It kind of was a sign that you were uh, very holy. Jesus says, don't let anybody call you rabbi, which means essentially teacher, and he says, you have one teacher, the Christ. But what about in verse 9, when Jesus says, call no man your father on earth. You have one father who is in heaven. Most of you guys know that Jesus wasn't speaking literally here. If he was speaking absolutely across the board, you cannot call anyone father. You can't even call your own dad father. But we see elsewhere in scripture where people do exactly that. Uh, the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12, it talks about fathers. We all had fathers who disciplined us, and we were thankful for it in the end. It wasn't pleasant at the time, but it was a needed corrective. And I'm not talking about abuse, that sort of thing, but but natural fatherhood. Uh, Stephen, when he, when he is about to be stoned to death, the first Christian martyr, he talks about the fathers, and he, he addresses... Um, the religious leaders in the crowd as brothers and, and fathers. And so this does happen, St. Paul says, this is probably the best example, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I became, and maybe he said that to Luke. I like to use this joke a lot. His traveling companion, St. Luke, Luke, I am your father. So, yeah, it's, it's not an across the board thing. It has to do with um, something else. So that, that's it. That's it. And, and so I want to just talk to you a little bit about the, the seat of Moses, because that's really interesting. This does uh, play into what we have in our Catholic churches, especially in our cathedrals, in our Catholic cathedrals. And so let, let's take a look at this. You might, you might wonder, by the way, and a lot of people are sort of misinformed about this, the Pope, the seat of the Pope is not at St. Peter's Basilica. Now, there's a famous Bernini sculpture, of course, in St. Peter's of the, the chair of Peter, which is, which is essentially the successor of the seat of Moses, uh, the chair of Peter, the first Pope in the New Covenant. But the actual uh, chair of Peter, in, in terms of the Pope's cathedral chair, is actually in St. John Lateran in Rome. That's actually the Pope's church, which is intriguing. But in, in the first century, of course, when the church got going, there, wa- there were no church buildings. There were no dedicated church buildings, at least. The church was people, and, and still is. It's the people. Jesus says, um, the t- I'm going to rebuild the temple of my body. And he's not just talking about his physical body, uh, rebuilt, if you will, with the resurrection but he's also talking about this temple of living stones, the mystical body of the church. And it talks about that in one of the letters of St. Peter. Your living stones being built into a spiritual edifice. Your God's building, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are God's building, you are God's temple. If anyone destroys God's building, God will destroy that person. But the early church did not have dedicated meeting places in terms of actual dedicated churches to worship in. They worshiped in house churches. Uh, St. Paul talks about the church that meets at Chloe's house. And Chloe was a member of the church in Corinth. Uh, there was Peter's house in Capernaum. And tomorrow on, on the Faith Explained, I'm going to talk about this famous incident with the temple tax, where Peter's at his house in Capernaum, and he gets tracked down by some Pharisees who say, hey, does your teacher pay the temple tax? And he has to go into the house and ask Jesus, well, what's going on here? So people met in Peter's house. And if you go to Capernaum and see the ruins of Peter's house there, it's still there today. They built sort of this hideous 1970s style spaceship church. It looks just like a spaceship over top of the ruins of Peter's house in Capernaum. But you can actually see graffiti. And yes, Christians did graffiti. People have always done graffiti throughout human history. Just like you might see in a in a high school washroom or something, but Christians did graffiti in the catacombs and all kinds of different places. One of the places they did that is in the home of Saint Peter, and they actually say this is Peter's house. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why we do know this was Peter's house in Capernaum. A pretty safe bet there was a house church that met there. But when it comes to the cathedra. Um, the seat of Moses is replaced by the cathedral or the cathedra in the Catholic Church, and that is the seat of the bishop. And for the bishop of Rome, the pope, that actually happens to be in St. John Lateran. And there's actually a feast day, if, if, you, if you can believe this, for St. John Lateran, for a chair, the chair of St. John Lateran. And, of course, 
the church was under persecution for most of the early centuries, and a lot of Christians are still persecuted today. And in the early church, it kind of ended, although there's certainly vestiges of it afterwards, but when the Emperor Constantine converted to the faith in 312-313 AD, the famous Edict of Milan, um, the toleration and really even the promotion of the faith became the official religion of the empire. But the Pope, in uh, after 313 AD, was given by the emperor the Lateran Palace. And there, were, there was a basilica that was on the property that was changed into a Catholic basilica by Pope Sylvester I, which is a, an incredibly cool name for, for a pope. I, I think it should be used once again. Maybe our next pope will be Sylvester. So I don't know if there was a Sylvester II, but that was kind of cool. Anyways, the, uh, the Lateran Palace, which was owned by a family, the Laterini family, it's, there is no actual guy named St. John Lateran, by the way, the Laterini family uh, gave this uh, property to the church. And so the reason why it's called St. John Lateran is because, just like naming a church after you know St. John the Baptist Parish or whatever, basically what they did was they said, okay, the patrons of this church, this basilica, they picked John the Baptist and also St. John the Evangelist. So there's kind of two Johns and it kind of got mushed together and it basically became St. John Lateran. So that's that's where that comes from. So this is really a new beginning in the life of the church, coming out of the catacombs, worshiping freely, and it was a great, great uh, evangelical moment uh, for the gospel. But essentially that's, uh, that's where this comes from. The seed of Moses, this emblematic of teaching authority, uh, becomes in the church the basilica, the home of the cathedra, the cathedral, the teaching chair, the office of the bishop, who is the master teacher, of course, in each diocese. So uh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. And you guys probably had questions about it, and hopefully, hey, hopefully that helped to answer those questions at some level. So yeah, we've been talking in the Faith Explained program about the book of Exodus and how that all got going, the priesthood of the Old Covenant. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. We're going to talk about the priests and what they actually did for the people. We talked about how they got their vestments. It's really cool, the vestments of the high priest in the Old Covenant. It's a lot of stuff that's very relatable to the Catholic priesthood, the ordination of the Old Covenant priests, the ordination of Catholic priests. We're going to talk tomorrow about the temple tax, how every young man had to be counted in ancient Israel, and they found over 600,000 young men over the age of 20, and they all had to pay, everybody had to pay, a half-shekel tax, uh, an offering, if you will, for the tabernacle, and this is what's really picked up on in the New Testament when Jesus and Peter have to pay the temple tax. Well, they didn't really have to pay it, but they did anyways. It was kind of cool uh, how they found the coin to pay it while Jesus kind of set up a miracle. I wish, miraculously, we could pay our taxes that easily, but we do have to pay our taxes. We have to be good citizens. St. Paul says, give taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due. We've got to be good citizens. And the better we can be as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the better citizens will be on earth as well. And so, hey, 
citizens of relevant radio land. Thank you for joining me today on the Kale Clark Show. It has been great. It's been great to have producer Jim back. Welcome back. Patrick Alog took your phone calls today. And stay tuned. Got lots of awesome programming coming up all day, all night, 24-7, 365 on Relevant Radio and also RelevantRadio.com, the app. Make sure you download it. There's lots of cool features that you can't get anywhere else if you're getting your podcasts, the shows in podcast form. Be back tomorrow. This is Kale Clark. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.